With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Stringer Podcast number 35. This is the second time we've recorded this intro. Actually, third time if you include me just screwing up a second ago. Because we didn't plug the board into the computer. Dylan, what did we learn today? How would they know? This is the first time to me. Plug the board into the computer. Stephen Caldwell's on the podcast from TSN. Or you might know him from Toronto FC. He served as the captain there. Also, the new co-host, or not the new co-host, just the co-host of the brand new podcast, KJ and Caldwell, a football pod. The podcast launched on Monday, January 14th, which means for some of you, that was yesterday. For many, many, many others of you, that was, I don't know, sometime a while ago. You can find them on Twitter, at a football pod, or you can just listen. Probably the best thing is that you just listen to the podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you get this, you know, lovely ear honey. That I deliver to you. Uh, football Pod is a weekly football show hosted by Christian Jack and Stephen Caldwell. You can probably guess that just based on the name. It focuses on the English top flight, that is soccer, Major League Soccer, and the Canadian soccer program. I didn't realize that we were about to say soccer two more times in that sentence. We record on Sunday evenings and deliver to listeners for their Monday morning commutes. And when I say we, I mean they. It's just how I copied it into my notes today. You can follow Stephen Caldwell on Twitter at Steve O. Caldwell or on Instagram at Steve O. Caldwell as well. Steve O. Caldwell as well. Steve O. Caldwell. As well. Before we get to him and his great Scottish accent, we got the Stringer Big Weekend starting with Friday. We Are Not Alone by Damien Atkins, 8.30 p.m. Crow's Theater, which is 345 Carla Avenue, which, Dylan, what did we discover? Oh, it's just up the street. It's Have just up before? the street. Did I maybe walk by and just notice it was Go to playing? the subway for lunch and see what's going on over there. <laughs> I'm going to go to the Crow's Theater because it sounds delicious. The deliciousness. It sounds great. Crowstheater.com is where you can get tickets. They start at $25 in a world populated by mysterious sightings, videos of shapes moving in shadows, and inexplicable crop circles. Inexplicable is a word that's hard for me. A playwright searches for answers. Are these occurrences a sign of unworldly visitors, or are we being deceived? That's right. Feels kind of X-Filesy, doesn't it? I like it. Friday night, we are not alone. Yes, you want to do the themes? Sing uh, that's it. That's all I got. No, sing it for everyone. No, do it again. We're not alone. No, no, no. How's it go, Dylan? Come on. You wanted to start it. You wanted to play it under me speaking. So now do it when it's just you. You're really putting me on this. I do not know more than that. I've never seen just, an episode. Just do the piece that you did. <laughs> I've lost it now. Amazing. That was terrible. Saturday, January the 19th. Soundtrack for the night. 
Do you remember Mike Valente? He was on the podcast. I don't know. Somewhere in the mid-teens is where we thought he was last time we did this. Uh, Burdock Music Hall, 1184 Bloor Street West. Now, I like this event. It's actually... It's kind of sweet that he's doing this. Soundtrack for the Night is a live, intimate concert series hosted at various venues in Toronto where profits are donated to charity. What charity this time, you might ask? I've got it for you. Profits from the show will be donated to Save the Children Canada, a non-governmental organization that promotes children's rights, provides relief, and helps support children in developing countries. If you want to support some great music, head to SoundtrackForTheNight.com or just look it up on Eventbrite. Tickets are only 10 bucks. And they go to charity. Sunday, January 20th, there is almost nothing going on. So we've got the Arizona Coyotes at the Maple Leafs for you. On a Sunday? Who would have figured at 7 p.m.? Uh, Scotiabank Arena. You've probably seen it before if you've ever been downtown Toronto. We realized that it is John Tavares' childhood team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, taking on Austin Matthews' childhood team, the Arizona oh, Phoenix Coyotes. They're still Phoenix oh. to me. It was, I guess, is it Glendale Coyotes? Glendale is. It, did they move the arena, or was the arena always in Glendale? It's always been in Glendale for a long time. The Scotiabank Arena is at Forty Bay Street, which is downtown Toronto. That's why they're called the Toronto Maple Leafs. Go check them out if you want tickets. I know they're hard to come by. Head on over to SeatGiant.ca and use promo code Stringer because it's the only way you will ever ever get discounts on Maple Leafs tickets. Those things are stinking expensive. Okay, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we got you covered. Remember, if you don't like our ideas for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, that's all right. You wouldn't be the first person that told me my thoughts sucked. And that's basically what you're doing to me right now. You're saying that I'm not good enough to give you suggestions. So do one of two things about it. Either reach out to us with something you've got coming up and we'll be happy to promote it. You can find me or us. We, you can find we at Stringer Podcast on Twitter, or you can email us events at thestringer.ca. Or if you don't want to talk to us at all, you can go to SeatGiant.ca and figure it out on your own damn self. Concerts, sporting events, theater, live shows, comedy, they've got it all. And if you just use promo code STRINGER, you'll be able to get a discount on your purchase. Promo code STRINGER. All right, that's enough of an intro for you. I'm going to throw you over to me. I guess, on the other side of the music. Uh, we're with Stephen Caldwell. It's a great conversation. We kind of I wanted to do a retrospective on his career, and we started with the first team, and we just got sidetracked and just had a great chat for an hour. Uh, I love the guy. He's been a big part of my life the last five years, and I'm really glad that he came in to chat. Only one last thing to do, though. As always, between now and the thing that happens next... Dylan, I had a joke for this, and now I forgot. Uh, bagpipes? Exactly. A lot of the early games have been not, I don't have to wake up for them, which yeah. is kind of nice. Like, yeah. I'm like, eh, yeah, if I just come let through it go in the second half, yeah. then I'll, I'll figure out what's going on. Yeah. Boys are good? Boys are great. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, they're good. They're um, not on break at the end of this week, I'm guessing? Yeah. They're, they're done this week, but Angela's 40 on wait, Thursday, so her mum comes tomorrow. So... I didn't realize that's birthday a surprise was that, for them. That, that close to the holidays. Yeah, 20th. Holy smokes. So yeah, so her mum comes and then my parents come, my sister. And she goes back to the UK for a week. 
and we go to Mexico, and oh, there's loads going on. Just juggling everything. Yeah. When are you in New Mexico, like over like New Year kind of thing? Fourth, fourth to the tenth. That's don't you have a podcast? And then I'm joking. We don't. <laughs> and then I, I don't know yet. It's <laughs> the only time I'm away. I'm like no. Yeah, no. We uh, we're going away for like six days, so that's, that's it. perfect. It's a perfect time here. Stephen Caldwell on the podcast. Hey, buddy. Hi, mate. How are hey, you doing? good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. My experience with you is unlike my experience with, I think, anyone in my life, which <laughs> makes it kind of unique. You know, you have your group of friends that you have from high school, and that's one group. And then you have your group of friends I know that, like, from my first job, right, after yeah. high school. But then I, I have only one Stephen Caldwell. <laughs> it's not even like the other guys that I met through Toronto FC, but it was because it was my first yeah. year. I was just dipping my toe into like football, into ha- having a, a show of my own yeah. that ran nationally. I was just kind of like, I was going through that change. It was a big benchmark time. And in it, there's you. Yeah. Which could go really, especially when you are in Toronto, a secondary football market. Yeah. And you have someone with the experience you have, you could like make or break my. <laughs> my opportunity there and you have to appreciate that like you know you get a respected guy coming in and he's like who's this asshole like mm. get him out yeah or you were so good and you like welcomed the whole idea and allowed it yeah and it how was, was that move to toronto for you well it was in regards to you and i clay it was it was kind of alien to me to have someone follow the team around <laughs> i've never really had that before well, you, you never know told so me the that. start i'm like who's this guy yeah. you know and What's he doing here? Oh, he's doing a documentary. I think he did it the year before I got there. I started it or a couple oh, of episodes, yeah, maybe, yeah, or something. Yeah, there a was, couple episodes. There was a little bit, and, and the guys were explaining to me what that was. And then, as All for One took off and became the, the magnificent show that it is, um, you know, it started to be, okay, this guy's going to be with us quite a lot. And you and I became close and we got to know each other better. And I would have did anything for you. I thought your your work. You know what I think your work's absolutely outstanding. It's on another level. And so no, this is about you though. This well, hour is about you. It's not in at that all. regard. It was I spend like, the rest of the day talking about me. Well, I have to that, say, if your yeah. documentary was rubbish, I'd probably be like, get this guy to the side. He's taking up too much room. I'm joking, no. But we we became personal friends, yeah. and and that was. Um, that was through the documentary and, and, and through how close we became. We were talking earlier off uh, off radio, microphone, off microphone radio, yeah. about uh, me getting sent off in Kansas yeah. City and, and you kind of coming in and setting up in the changing room yeah. and um, and uh, you know a member of staff sort of saying maybe now's not the time. This guy's gonna could start throwing <laughs> things around, you know. So, but I never even really noticed you no. at the time. And yeah. again, I think that was an indication of the relationship that we had. That I just expected you to be there, trusted you. I yeah. knew you're a very respectful guy in terms of where and when you should cross the line and um, a big part of my spell here was was sort of chronicled by you and, mm-hmm. and when Toronto FC were really kind to give me that sort of farewell video and mm-hmm. a lot of your oh, stuff was right. in that and, and our interview in the boot room and I remember one time we, we talked to each other in Seattle in the hotel room yeah. and so you know you and what you created is a big part of my Toronto <laughs> FC career <laughs> Thank you. I, that video actually, it's one of my favorite. I edited it. The, yeah. I, I, that's a hard word to say, edited it. Yeah. But I was the editor on that video as well, which was really special for me because yeah. honestly, how many times in your career do you get to work with someone that you respect and they're like, okay, you're in charge 
of making sure his send off looks nice. Yeah. And so that becomes this this responsibility, this weight that you carry. But the reason why I started here and I didn't start before here yeah. is because this is going to be cool because I actually don't know squat <laughs> about before when yeah. you're in Toronto. It it's again, it's almost like having a, a new friend, right? That's whose career isn't really well documented yeah. on Wikipedia or whatever site. Yeah. But you just, you know, you start working with someone. I start working with Dylan. And it's like, hey, Dylan, how's it going? Cool. We're going to be friends. We're going to get off well. This is amazing. And then you kind of wonder, well, I guess they did have a life yeah. before moving across an ocean and, and coming to Canada. And I'm hoping you're willing to explore that with me. Absolutely. I'm always because, happy to talk about myself. So... You would have. I'm guessing when you enter into an academy, knowing it's yeah. going to be like with some professional future in it. Are you 13, 14? Yeah, um, I'd say I sort of started playing football, soccer regularly when I was about nine or ten, yeah. um, and way later than it is these days, of course. But nine or ten. Get him in. I want him on the U4 team. Yeah. Like, <laughs> First, first team, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. playing every single day before that, of course, like everybody should be. But here we have to structure it so much. Back then in the UK and in Scotland, it was different. Your mum and dad said, get out of the house yeah. and you'd come yeah. back in eight hours. It, was, it really was like that. You get sometimes got a jam sandwich, uh, you know, but uh, most of the time. <laughs> no it was peanut like, butter, just yeah, jam. No, just, just jam. jam. Nah, peanut butter costs do, too much. We don't do peanut butter and jam in Scotland, all right? We don't even know what peanut butter is. <laughs> really? So, yeah, we don't do that. Just jam. Just so I'm my my uh, grandfather's not from Scotland. Uh-huh. But he he was his family's from Germany, but he grew up in the Netherlands. And then before they moved over, I believe I hope I'm not getting that wrong. Um, <laughs> but it was jam sandwiches. Yeah, my grandparents only jam. Place. Yeah, or jam on toast. Yeah, but like like it'd be a sandwich, but it's toasted bread. Yeah, not normal bread, and just jam in the middle. <laughs> and so hundred. But we were playing street hockey. Yeah, yeah. obviously Same in the thing. little cul-de-sac. Yeah, and, and, and not a, football. A different time. You just went out the door and you had something to eat, and you you played for as long as it was light, or as long as the day went. If it was a weekend or a, a school holidays, and then you came back. So there was loads of soccer, and it started to become a little bit more serious. Nine, ten, eleven, and then you start getting some professional clubs showing interest in you. And, and most boys in Scotland signed schoolboy forms we called it at the time with a Scottish club mm-hmm. so you know Celtic Rangers Hearts Hibs Dundee United mm-hmm. guys are signing for, for clubs and uh, for some reason my brother's 18 months younger than me but we, we both sort of came through at the same time we never wanted to sign for a Scottish club we wanted to explore England we mm-hmm. wanted to see what it was like south of the border and so um, 12, 13, 14 was that um, experimental phase we were visiting Chelsea and Aston Villa and Liverpool and Manchester United and the Newcastle and Leeds and mm-hmm. nearly everybody everybody we could get to in a school holiday or a weekend and still playing with Celtic and Rangers and Hearts and Hibs and that mm-hmm. as well at the time which was great and then made the decision to go to Newcastle full time which was uh, people always ask me why Newcastle why because it's north yeah <laughs> it was north there was something about the club that just mm-hmm. grabbed me right at the start and There'll be a theme of that throughout this this yeah. podcast as we talk about every club I, I went to and the circumstances, the weird little, it could have went either way and just someone was in the back of my mind saying, 
go here, do this, mm-hmm. and I just did it, and I sort of went with that feeling, and it's it stood me in good stead throughout my career. But I went to Newcastle a because there was that feeling, there was something about it, and b because they were a massive club at the time. They were competing with Manchester United for Premier League titles. We signed Alan Shearer in '96 for 15 million pounds, the the biggest signing in the world at the time. So they were a, a huge club. We look at them now and their struggles, and the you know the Mike Ashley era and all this stuff. But then they were an absolutely massive football club. I like Newcastle for a completely unrelated reason. I feel that they have like the best accents in yeah. the world because you get that that half accent. It's not British, but at the same time, it's not Irish. Yeah. But it kind of floats right in the middle, and it's amazing. And there's uh, oh, it's terrible that I know her only by her ex-husbands, Ashley <laughs> Ashley Cole's yeah, ex-wife, Cheryl Cole, uh, Cheryl, yeah, uh, Samini, I think it yeah, is now, yeah, and she's from Newcastle, yeah, and just has that perfect in my like what's a perfect accent no idea but there's that really neat balance yeah that's a place i'd like to visit and i'd get old there like (laughs) i'll marry and get old in newcastle i'm sure of it yeah can't play football cheryl's accent changed a lot because she was just you know a a geordie girl then she obviously traveled the world and whether you like it or not you you mellow you smooth a little bit and you have to be if you keep speaking like you did when you were at home nobody would have a clue then people say they don't have a clue what i'm saying as it is and i'm speaking completely different from what i used to you know but cheryl was someone who was around that group she loved her football and she we used to see her in the, the you know the players lounge and stuff like that and so she was she was always big into soccer so it didn't surprise me that she married a footballer in yeah. the end I had the chance to meet Ashley actually when he was in the spell with Roma yeah. and that was I think my first international experience yeah. with well there was Toti there at the time and there was um, the midfielder De Rossi De Rossi yeah. was there at the time Daniele De Rossi yeah. and Ashley Cole is there and I'm like holy crap yeah like what's this is and that's again not to take away with any I've been able I've been privileged to work beside some of the greatest talents but this time I'm in a foreign market yeah but that's your whole life yeah and that's where it kind of is you kind of show up at a place you're you have a routine to it but you show up at a place at a time mm-hmm. and here you are surrounded by the top of your game yeah like, does it ever uh does you have to stick to the same kind of values and principles that you have in, in life, right. you know? And so... Studs up. Well, yeah, <laughs> basically. It then becomes about, are they a good person? Right. Are they someone I want to, you know, associate with? Can I learn from this mm-hmm. guy? Um, all, all these things that come into it. As a, you say a young professional football player. So there's there's two stories, or a few stories, but one I'm going to tell. <laughs> the, one of the first teams I trained with, the first team at Newcastle, was, uh, you know, a Monday morning, it was a five-a-side kind of day, and I got asked to join the first team, and I was very excited. Mm-hmm. The guys were probably just limbering through it because mm-hmm. they had played the game at the weekend, but to me it was like the World Cup final. Yeah. And I'm training away, and a, a good friend of mine, now works for Fox Sport, he's, he lives out west coast, Warren Barton, mm-hmm. was the fullback. Warren played for England and Newcastle for a number of years, Derby, Wimbledon, other teams. And Warren was one of the main characters in that squad. And we were playing this little game and the shot came in and it sort of hit my arm and the referee, who was a coach, it was actually John Carver. <laughs> There's so <Jesus>. much connections <laughs> here, ex-TFC coach. John Carver was a ref and John said, no, you know, it came off his body. And I'll never forget Warren Barton tried to, me being a young 17, 18-year-old kid, tried to sort of bully me and say, tell him it was your hand, it was your hand. And I basically told them no. to go away in yeah. no uncertain terms in, yeah. in football vernacular, yeah. you know. 
So he looks at me and I'm like, oh no, what have I done? He's like, you're packing what did your you bags just after say that? to me? And I went, and I said that again. Yeah. Because to me, it's important that you prove to these guys you have a great deal of respect for them Completely. and the years I proved that a number of times, but that I'm not going to be pushed over. You can't just bully me into things, yeah. you know, because you're, you're asking to compete with people who are world-class players earning 10, 50, 100 times as much a year, a week than, than I am. And I need to prove to them that I'm an equal, that I'm one of them. So I, I remember that incident. Warren had a little bit of a go at me and, and, and you know, I was shaking inside. My heart yeah. was beating, but I stayed strong and I stuck to it. And, and and that was important to me that I was accepted by the guys. And then obviously the respect and the ones that I wanted to associate with, the Warrens, the Gary Speeds, the Alan Shearers, Shea Givens, uh, Rob Lee, I could go on. I kind of went to that older group of guys rather than no disrespect to... Kieran Dyer and Craig Bellamy mm-hmm. and Lamana Lualawa and Carl Court and Jermaine Jenis was in that kind of younger group. Um, to me, I was like, no, I, you know, I'm going to learn more from my career mm-hmm. from a Shearer and a Speed and a, a Given and a Barton than they guys. And, and so for some reason, they, they accepted me in. I was 10 years younger and they taught me what it was to be a true professional soccer player. And I would imagine... Like so much of who you are obviously is ingrained in you from when you're young, right? Just your family members and your yeah. brother and your relationships that way. But I have noticed and not by any means going to name names, but the people who are drawn to the leaders pick up those abilities quicker than yeah. those who aren't. And, and that's a really simple way of saying it. But but it's kind of that, that old adage that you are who your friends are, yeah. right? And so I would imagine... That's where a lot of and I, leadership skills, how do you quantify leadership yeah. skills? But it's pretty much like, are you able to stand up in a room confidently in front of people? And then after you say your piece, do people still want to talk to you? Yeah. And if you can check those two boxes, you're considered a good leader. Yeah. Right? Because it means you said what you had to say, mm-hmm. but you didn't say it in a way that everyone hates your guts for it. Can you point a lot of that to your your, your early days with some of those men and you're like oh yeah he was someone that would always do this and he was someone that taught me like there's the physical part of being a pro yeah but there's also the mental part yeah the mental part's everything and um there's not enough emphasis put on that because when you get to a club and there's you know you went through the the hundred thousand to get whittled down to a thousand to a hundred to two or three you know the numbers are just crazy and so Really, as you hit these stages, it's all about can you mentally handle the setbacks and the victories, the mm-hmm. fame, basically, or the, the the ego growing needs to be controlled. And and so I think that family background, that even keel has a very important uh, part to play in that. I also think that the first time I was captain was 15 years old for Scotland Schoolboys. And Scotland Schoolboys is a very important age group because it's live on Sky Sports and there's a lot of pressure and a lot of prestige uh, associated to that tournament. And again, you play, it's called Scotland Schoolboys for a reason because you play for your school and you go through the different stages to whittle a team down to, into 18 guys and then one of them's a captain and that was me. So I was always a leader. I was always a guy that... that, that enjoyed that aspect of playing. I think it, I think it um, enhanced the player that I was because I don't think I was a great player. And I always say that and people are always like, you're being humble and that. I'm not, I, I wasn't a great player, but part of my uh, abilities as a player was to be a leader, to be a mm-hmm. captain. So 
uh, when I got to Newcastle, I was the under-18 captain. I was under-19 captain. I was a reserve captain at every step where I was captain. And I think that that's in you. I think that that ability to, like you say, when things are difficult, to stand up and mm-hmm. say something meaningful mm-hmm. is important. And that's not... Everyone thinks a captain someone who just shouts and shouts and mm-hmm. shouts or someone who, you know, has to thunder into a tackle. Or, it's none of these things mm-hmm. or all of these things. It's what you are. It's authentic to yourself. It's about leading people in tough times and in good times. It's about keeping people on the process, on the track, on the course. And I could always do that. I always put that top of mind. So it was never really about how I played. It was about how the team played. It was never about what was best for me as a player. It was what was best for the team. And and I, I lived that every day, 100%. And so then I was selected by most managers to captain that team. It's interesting because that idea can be easily misconstrued to it's whatever it takes to win. Yeah. And and, and bear with me. Yes. Yeah. 100%. People say it's not about winning or losing. It is about winning or losing. Don't be foolish. Yeah. People, there's millions and millions and millions of pounds riding on winning or losing. But doing what's best for the team is different is. than doing whatever it is to win. And hopefully you find that group, that special group of people. And that's why it's always a special group. You hear it used over and over and over again that are able to meld the two things. But leadership, if for you, is, is, is they're your men. Like yeah. in a way, they're, you're, you're a friend and a general yeah. and an instructor and an older brother and all these things. Uh, and this is just me as an outsider looking in and yeah. just seeing how you treat people or treat people in the locker room. Communication, isn't yeah. it? It's all about communicating with people and, and taking time to get to know your men, your mm-hmm. your your people. We, we hear stories about it all the time, but living it's harder than that. You know, you, you hear about Alex Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson, he, he knew the tea lady as well as he knew his captain. Mm-hmm. And that's true because... He's a people person. It takes time. It's about building a culture and a value. I don't know if I like that word culture. Everybody's yeah, using it yes. now. But I can't think of one better to describe it because any winning team has that culture, the values that are needed for that team. And it takes time to communicate, to get to know people, to then make people accountable. There's a reason for it. It's not just, hey, Clay, how are you? I want to know how your who your mum and dad are and, yeah. and where you grew up. And I'm not really listening, or Daniil Henry, or Ashton Morgan, or Jonathan Azorio. I'm listening and getting to know the guy because eventually I'm going to get in his face and tell him that that's not good enough. You need to do more. Or Jonathan or Daniil, you were tremendous today. What a performance. See the way you did this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. So I can only get to that point when I've spent the time getting to know the guy. Yeah. I can't just fake that because they'll turn around and look at me and go, don't care. Yeah, don't know off. you. I'm not connected with you. And then there becomes confrontation and and not a good confrontation. But that was always my key. I get to know every player on my team, whether they're friends of mine or I was never going to see them again when we yeah. stopped playing with each other. It was important to me that that guy felt that I had his back. And uh, I, I got better at that as the years went on. I think by the time I got to Toronto, I was very, very good at that. And I think that's what made me such a good fit for this city that um, that we were we were badly in need of that character that was yeah not the best centre half in the world but could bring a group together and teach some of the very exciting younger pros that we had what it truly meant to be a professional what I'd learned 15 years before from Alan Shearers and Rob Lees and Gary Speeds and Shea Givens that that's the key to success.
it's funny. I think of my relationship with my father. And this will make sense in a second, I hope. <laughs> but I remember from a young age, if we were in large environments, like we were at uh, a dinner party or wherever, coming away from a family event, we would always ask, and it was just the relationship we had. It was like, were we good tonight? And it wasn't that we wanted the yes, but it was like that knowing that you've lived up to someone's expectations whom you respect yeah. was important. And the reason why I say that is... When you take the time to build relationships within a working environment, yeah. an office, a locker room, and you bring that experience with you, and you care about the person, what you say holds weight because they respect who you are. Yeah. Because you've everyone wants to have an interest taken, in especially when you're young. Yeah. Especially if you're like 17, 18, 19, you're in your first or maybe maybe your first pro contract or your first like first team pro contract. Yeah. You just want to be recognized yeah. because literally you're there with all these people that there's a voice somewhere in your brain probably that says, "I don't have like why am I here?" Like I, 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 why, you know, and we, we try to be confident and we try to show, you know, a bit of courage. And, and as you said, the story where, where, where you told them off and told them where to go, but you said on the inside, you're trembling because yeah. there's this voice saying, why am I here? And all you want to do is be recognized and be treated equal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it takes a man to admit to that, that we're all in that position. We're all trembling inside at different times. Um, and when you're the leader of the group and people are looking to you for direction or inspiration, it's very, very difficult to provide that and, and provide it authentically because you've got to be so unselfish. You have to mm -hmm. put your own personal aims and goals and performances to the side. It's mm -hmm. not about you. It's about the team. And, and, and you've got to be so uh, objective as to what's going wrong and... It doesn't make you the coach. It doesn't make you the guy that decides on the tactics, but it gives you that voice, that connection with the players that allows you to be on the button with things that are happening. And we know, we've been in teams, part of teams. It happens on the bus, doesn't it? And in the hotel mm -hmm. and in the locker room before training. Meal room. Like... Meal rooms and that. It doesn't really... The culmination of that's on a Saturday yeah. night or afternoon. But it's happened during the week and... Most of the time that happens, the manager's not there, the coaches are not there. Mm -hmm. It's just the players. So if you're the leader of that group, you see the things and you nip it in the bud. Mm -hmm. If you're a good leader of that group, you're inclusive, you bring everybody in. If you're a good leader, you make sure that you know who the guys are who, you know, have their voice and mm -hmm. this is the guy you go to for this little speech and that little thing. And, and so you create a team environment, a, a connectivity within that team because it's you guys against everybody. And then it's up mm -hmm. to the coach to come up with the tactics and mm -hmm. pick the team and do all that other stuff. But the locker room culture and the locker room values are created by the players and they're exaggerated or, or um, forced upon by the captain. And that's what I always tried. If you don't like the word culture, which you mentioned earlier, I, I, I always like I the word atmosphere. It. Yeah. Because it truly wraps itself around every yeah. part of your being. Yeah. It's it's how you speak to each other. Yeah. It's the air. It's like people talk about toxicity in the locker room. Oh, the air is toxic in there. Yeah. Someone's a cancer. On the flip side, if it's a good atmosphere, yeah. then people like as you said, it's all the moments between the important the, the between the, the moments that matter and and you said it perfectly. It's 
the locker room before training. Yeah. Like what happens between 8.30 and 9.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. And just the, it's the, oh, it's the horsing around, it's yeah. the jokes, but it's the, hey, how's it going? Hey, how's your dad doing? Uh, oh, I saw so-and-so at the thing, yeah. at the restaurant last night. They say hello. It's all that little stuff. But as soon as, as, soon as things don't, aren't going well, you can kind of tell. As, like as soon yeah. as you know those moments are quiet, or it's like oh you know those guys stick together and those guys stick together, and there's not the group to there's not the person or the people to bring them together. I'm talking at my ass. I know. No, I you're absolutely but, spot on. You're, you're you're right. It starts as something really small, and it grows into that group of four and that group of three and yeah. this guy wants a move and and, and and this guy's just an absolute problem. There's no way we can bring him back in and control him. It's way too late, and they start small. They start yeah. at like that little level yeah. where there's, you know, they're having breakfast and you start to see the groups starting to appear and there's not the same communication. You're maybe not, um, back in the day, it was having a beer. Let's have a beer yeah. when we get a chance. And I always go back to that. It's a little bit different now. It's way too professional uh, sport and soccer in general to, to have the usual kind of beer sessions yeah they, they keep it to only half time <laughs> only, only half time well the beer session was or the, the night out was a big thing because what happened was you, you got close you started yeah. to like learn what that guy was like when he had a bit beer too many or yeah. you know things like that it's and true that you truly you find yeah. out what's on the inside or someone does something that they don't want anyone to know yeah and it's like no I got you yeah, it's because fine. we're Trust we're me. friends, we're brothers. Yeah. Like I'm gonna do the same thing, and it's vulnerability yeah. in a in an area, especially sports in the 80s and 90s, where vulnerability and all the years before that, yeah. vulnerability isn't a thing you're supposed to have. Yeah, you're supposed to be cast iron, right? And that ability to not be a hundred percent in front of yeah. someone is, and then know you're good. Mm-hmm. It's kind of nice. Uh, I've got a very good friend. He's called Cody Royal. He, he's an author. He wrote a book called Where Others Won't. And um, and I was in that book a few times. And it's about connecting leadership and teamwork to the business mm-hmm. world. It's a fantastic book, anyone that, that wants to read it. Um, and Cody is coach of the Canadian A-League team, uh, Aussie really? Rules. Yeah, and Cody, he's a fantastic guy. The reason I bring him up is because... Um, when you ha- hand out the shirts, that's the big thing in, in uh, A-League Canadian mm-hmm. team, you hand your shirt. Mm-hmm. And instead of just having that presentation, everyone claps and that, he asks the players to come up and, and say something that only a handful of people know about them when they get up there. And Cody, being the leader that he is, starts and he mm-hmm. says something. And it's not important what the guys say because mm-hmm. it's for that team at that mm-hmm. moment. And he says the level of togetherness mm-hmm. and revelations and whatever happens in that room is one of the most inspiring things he's ever been part of in his life. And that's the modern day mm-hmm. booze up, isn't it? That yeah. level of like, strip everything off, here's me, here's who I am, now let's come together and yeah. let's achieve. Uh, that That's what you want. That That's what good leaders are trying to create. And I go back to, to TFC again uh, in my time there and some guys, they don't want to name any names, but guys who are difficult not difficult in the locker room but we're outsiders yep you all know who I'm meaning don't need to say the names but my job is to connect with that guy (laughs) it takes me months sometimes because I'm like how am I going to connect with this guy but eventually when I do and we find ways of being together then I've got his back he knows that I've got his back and now he feels like he's part of the team and I would always be sticking up for the the ones in the background, the shyer guys, the loud guys, they're always going to be all right. And most of the time they were my friends, but it was the other ones that had to feel 
and partner inclusive and and I think Fucking we did Daniel that. love it. Daniel <laughs> <laughs> love it. No, it's not. Daniel I love Lovitz. that guy so much. I love much. that guy. I what a kid. <laughs> I still keep. Don't you, Daniel love it? So do I. Which is unbelievable. We trade notes back. I don't and know forth. who. I, uh, Justin Morrow, Nick Hagland, yeah. now and again, but they're in the city. But Daniel Lovitz and I probably speak more, and I'm including Bradley Orr in this, yeah. than any other player that I played with in, in uh, my Toronto time, you know, at TFC. And I'll tell you a story about Danny Lovitz, and you'll know this story. When I first met Danny Lovitz, uh, I don't know about this guy. Yeah. He's not working hard enough. He's he's coming for college. He's swanning around a little bit. And I was hard on Danny Lovitz, very hard on him. And I'm glad I was hard on him. Do you know why? Because he's one of the most promising left-backs in the MLS. He's one of the most important players for the Montreal Impact. I'd like to think that I played a little part in that. Mm-hmm. I know Danny played a, a massive part in that because he decided, if I want to be the best or I want to be successful in this league or any other league, I need to work harder. I need to be better. I need to work on this. And he's done it. And he's a brilliant professional. And he's a friend of mine. I appreciate Danny for a couple of reasons. First of all, he went through the when he was drafted into Major League Soccer. He was down and out with an injury, and he was a promising young uh, midfielder winger yeah. uh, that had fallen to the second round. But he for sure thought he wasn't even going to be drafted. That maybe his number had come up already uh, in college. And there's a certain everyone at a one point has to come face to face with their mortality in in life but also yeah. in business especially when it's sports and if you can see that earlier on it changes the person you are and it changes the human that you can be yeah because you realize oh I'm on I'm on borrowed time this whole thing is on borrowed time yeah I better make the most of it and so and not that I'm anyone but it's how people treat the people who are nobody yeah Right, that really shows uh, who they are, and you would go back to uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, and, and was it him who you said yeah. treat tree yeah. the tea lady, tea lady and Ketman and it's ridiculous, but you can see that front and center all the time with people in their everyday life. You stand in line at a Tim Hortons and you mm-hmm. see some d bag like yelling at the whatever eighteen yeah. year old person behind the counter making minimum wage, and in your head you're kind of like, the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. Tone it down. They didn't ruin your day. I'm yeah. sorry about your 60 cent coffee or whatever the heck it is. Um, and I feel that Danny, in my interactions, he had that early on. And that obviously comes with family as well. And, and But I would imagine part of it came from him realizing early that this could all be over tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then he's able to develop under people like yourself, yeah. under that leadership group that was with Toronto at the time. And then he goes to Montreal, and I haven't been happier for him yeah. see him succeed even though he's had to move around a bit because the reason why I one of the reasons why I'm guessing he didn't work in Toronto was just positionally yeah right Toronto wasn't yeah. playing you know with any wingers wide up in the midfield and then he was able to kind of find the spot uh, in Montreal and there's this moment Toronto FC was facing them like it's 2017 towards the end of the season and if you recall he was clipped or he tore a muscle or something and he's yeah. down on the pitch and and the ball's still in play, and Josie ends up scoring. And so the team is celebrating not 15 feet from a fallen Dan Lovitz, and Josie leans out of the huddle and says, I'm sorry, Danny, I'm sorry. And that seems silly and funny and all these different things, 
but I have perhaps the best shot of it. <laughs> and it's in all sincerity. And I think some of those things come because you're like, you're a good dude. Yeah. I have to do my job, of obviously. Course. But you're a good dude. I hope all works out. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a guy with like spirit, isn't he, Danny? Yeah. You know, and, 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 and grit and determination. And that, that's how you get to the top. You know, if you don't have that, you're never going to get there. And so is Josie and... All the guys on that field are, 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 are like that. You just don't get to that level unless you have that ability to to bounce back, to keep taking setbacks and getting better and going forward and proving. And I think um, it's a big part of sport that you have that ability to take the disappointment. You, mm-hmm. you can't just discard the disappointment. It's part of you. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a part of your future. How do you make it a positive you know, how do you like bring that, that, that moment in or that setback of leaving the club or not being good enough or being rejected and let it fuel you and, let, and allow it to become to make you become better? The ones that do that the best from a very early age, I mean, my own son is in TFC's junior programme and they went to Atlanta recently and only 12 uh, players could go. There was 20 odd in the squad and he wasn't one of them. Irrelevant whether I think or anybody else thinks he was good enough for that. It's a parent will always think. Yeah, but it's absolutely irrelevant. The The point is his first setback, you know, like mm-hmm. he's been the best player going through and this is a setback and now what does he do? And I, that's the only thing I said to him. I know you'll be disappointed, but it's how you react to this that will shape your career. If it's in soccer or whatever it's in, it will shape you for the rest of the time because if you let it affect you and you lose your confidence... You'll just keep going down and down. And if you take it on and you, you try and prove somebody wrong or mm-hmm. listen to the, the little parts of your game that maybe need to be better or or, or just uh, in general just become a better young man and a better uh, player for it, you, you'll be you'll be successful. And I think that that's the kind of attitude that I had throughout my entire career right until even now in the next stages. But right until the day that I retired as a, a soccer player, I also thought, how do I get better? How do I improve? Who should I be near? What should I do? How am I going to get... Do I need to get fitter? Mm-hmm. Later in my career, I got fitter. I was fitter at 30 plus than I was at, at 20 plus because I knew I needed to be more professional, mm-hmm. more ready in that regard, you know? And so you're always learning, you're always improving. Your boys are awesome, by the way, not that you need <laughs> to know that. we. I was lucky enough to spend a couple of days in the summer with the three of you. Uh, playing FIFA, yeah. and if there's one thing they've definitely picked up from you is the ability to shit talk. <laughs> Holy jumping! They're masters. Masters. They kill me. They kill me at it. Disappointment. I, I like that you brought that up because you see it in every in everything you choose. It's yeah. not. It's not just how you react in sports. And, and I've always been a firm believer is that you can either look at how they wronged you or look at what you learned. Yeah, and that's the like. You really have, you don't actually have only two options, but I only see it as two options. Yeah. They either wronged you, which is fine if you want to think that way. I leave it to you to decide. Or you learn, you figure out what you learn from it because I can spend the day after, if I get cut, if I get cut today, yeah, I can either spend tomorrow looking at yesterday or I can spend tomorrow looking at the day after. Yeah. And I only have one choice or the other. And I'd way rather be looking forward than looking back. Yeah. Applying that to your playing career, what was it like l- having to leave Newcastle? Be- it was tough. Because that's, 
the first ones that kind of go out, they bring you in the first pro environment. And there's a piece of you that must be like, I hope I can play here forever. Yeah. It's a great question because there's, there's a wee story to it. I actually got released by Newcastle before I played the game. And uh, it was under Bobby Robson who gave me my debut. So he, he, he pulled me in or one of the coaches pulled me in. It wasn't even him that I got the message from because I was young at the time. And they said to me, um, they're going to let you go at the end of the season. And I was devastated. This was on the Saturday morning. And so, okay, I went to this club to play 100 games for the first team and I've never made one appearance and I'm being released at the end of the year. This is maybe March or something like that. And so, again, disappointment. What could I, I could have went to my apartment and cried mm-hmm. or I could have said okay I'm going to show them what mistake they've made mm-hmm. so I was lucky enough I had some mentors guys that were behind me and I was playing for the reserves on the Monday and my agent and my mentors had helped there's going to be this guy there and this guy there and you know there's going to be people teams watching you and it was at Villa Park and I had a fantastic match we won 1-0 and I played really well Tuesday morning comes and there's like three bids for me from championship clubs what did Newcastle do? They panic. They've made the mistake. They say, this guy's not for sale. So I get on the phone or my agent does and says, well, you just released them kind of thing, you know. He's got to make a wage, yeah. guys. And they said, well, no, we're going to offer him a contract now. So within the space of five days, I was released to get in a new deal. Mm. And then I went for strength to strength and I played in the first team and I achieved that. But then I hit the next point where I want to be playing regularly. I'm 23 Bobby and I, Bobby loved me, but never saw me as a starting 11 player. And again, back to the same point, it's irrelevant. He likes you, he doesn't. You're a professional. you got to just keep going, keep motoring on, find what you need in your career and get to it. And at this point, I needed first-team football every week. And I accepted it wasn't going to be with Bobby in Newcastle. So I've got to move on. I've got to go somewhere else. And yes, I was disappointed. Of course, I wanted to play my entire career with that club, but accepting that it wasn't going to happen then trying to reinvent yourself as, as part of the, the football player or the, the, the man, the human that you can be. And at that point, it, it was right that I went on. I reinvented myself and I moved to somewhere and I decided then and there, Clay, I made that decision. I looked in the mirror and I went, I'm going to be an important player for every team I play for for the rest of my career. And if that changes, I'm going to chap the manager's door and say, it's time I leave. It's mm-hmm. time I move on. It's, you know... I'm not a five games a year guy. I'm, I want to lead. I want to be the man. I want to be important. If I'm not important, I'll go down a level. I'll move somewhere else. I'll find someone else. And and I stuck to that. And I'm glad. Another like thing that was in me, like, I stuck to it. I never really... There was times I never played, of course, but I was on the road three months later. Mm-hmm. I went somewhere else to play. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get through all your teams, am I? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, we just left Newcastle, and I'm like, oh, here we go. This is a typical Clay problem, yeah. like right here. I'll talk I'll talk to you in an hour. Um, you did go down a level. Yeah. You, you did experience time in both the premiership and the championship. Yeah. I, I interpret this, there must be a fight there, especially yeah. when you, 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 you've tasted top flight football. Mm-hmm. There's a fight, and thankfully something you're really good at is... <laughs> Being being in a fight, like not an actual yeah. fight, but like, but having the battle. Yeah. Were you on a club when you were demoted, or or did you go down to to championship? So I got relegated 
relegated way, way yeah, nice. I went from Premier League to Championship three times. My first time was with Leeds when I was on loan. My second time was with Sunderland. And my third time was with Burnley. And I came very close with Wigan, but we survived in the last day. And I got promoted twice. My first time was with Sunderland and my second time was with Burnley. And so I've experienced the highs and lows. And I think that's important to talk about the highs and lows of that and the fact that that's right where I was. I was a very good championship player and I was a lowly, okay Premier League player. I played 80, 90, 100 times in the Premier League. So I'm, I'm very fortunate and I never um, diminish any of the games, any of the opportunities. But that's the reality. I was a, a really good championship centre half and I was a kind of either in a team that was getting relegated or a bit part player on a sort of mediocre team in the Premier League. And um, back to what I said earlier was when I said, I'm going to play every week, I'm going to be important. That's why I kept moving, kept transitioning, kept right. becoming that player. So at Sunderland, under Mick, in that first year, we were amazing. We won the championship. We had a sensational run the last 13 games. We won 11, I think, and, and drew one and lost one. So we went in a tear and we beat, we beat Wigan and Ipswich to first place. Um, and it was amazing. The next year, we got one of the lowest points total in Premier League history. We were hopeless. Couldn't compete at that level, whatever reason, made some average signings, just never happened. We were probably not quite good enough or whatever, definitely not good enough in a number of areas. And so you go for the high of that kind of same group, similar group, what they achieved to the, the level up in the Premier League is the most ruthless league in the world. If you've got an issue uh, and you, you're uh, deficiency in a certain area, you're getting found out. 100% so we got found out and we were back down and it's just about again rolling up the sleeves how do I go and how do I move forward what do I need to improve and where's the place that I'm going to prosper at best and I stumbled I landed in Burnley and I have to be honest when I'm driving to Burnley I signed on deadline day in uh, the January and I'm driving to Burnley and inside my head we talk about the voices in the head mm -hmm. The voice is saying to me, your career's over. It's winding down. You're out of the big league. You're never getting back there. You've got a good contract, but you're basically, you, you're over the hill. You're, you're on the downward spiral. How old were you when you're driving to Burnley? Jesus. I'm 27. I got a three and a half year deal mm -hmm. and I've got financial security, but I'm like, my career's, I've had my peak in my mm -hmm. career. I'm going down. I'm uh I'm, I'm hanging on, but my, my, I'm waiting on my first child, Will, and my family's going to be fine. And mm -hmm. So there was positives, but what a negative mindset for an athlete to be in. Go to a place that I didn't really want to be. And I'm thankful that that was the last negative thought that I had connected with that football club. Again, I, I, I don't know what happened. I can remember vividly being at that car at 7am. It was a shock. I was a Sunderland player eight hours before. Anyway, I'm, I'm driving to Burnley and I just rolled up my sleeves again and went, right, I'm going to make my best at this new club. I was captain within two weeks. We had a sticky first season. We got a little bit better in the second season. We signed some good players. And then it ends up being the 08-09 the season where we win at Wembley against Sheffield United. And I'm, I hate grading my season, but I don't think I've ever had a better season in my life. 60 games, great people, great guys, played at Wembley, semi-finals, a league cup a club that hadn't been in the top flight for 40 years, walking these steps to pick up a trophy 
best decision I ever made started on such a negative. And if you allow that to keep fostering in your brain, it's just you just go from bad to worse. You're like, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm at my peak now. Yeah. So you're like, uh, well, <laughs> call that one a little bit quick. Yeah. Maybe I got something I changed else, my whole me? mindset on everything, Clay. I then became a very positive player. You know, before that, I was all so worried about where was my place and how could, you know, just anxious, yeah. anxious about everything. After that, I relaxed and I'm like, okay, I'm 27, 28. I'm enjoying every last minute of this. This is fun. This is why I came here. This is what I wanted to be, a, a professional football player who had won things, you know. And people say, oh, you won the championship, the playoff final. I don't care. You win the, the League Two Cup. You win the USL Championship. I don't care. When you win, you win. Mm-hmm. It's actually irrelevant what level you win at. It, that's all to do with the, the talents that you have. To win is hard, whatever level it's at. And I, and I won and I relaxed and I'm like, I'm going to enjoy it. And I enjoyed every single day for that moment on. I won the trophy at Beer League Hockey. <laughs> and I was a great feeling. Like, I thought it was the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I don't care because I, you are trying to push yourself to the max of your ability yep. where you are. And that's, there's so much fulfillment in knowing that you're going to put your mind to something. You're going to put everything you have you're gonna push all the chips yeah. to the center like emotionally and physically and at the end i proved to myself something yeah i proved to myself that i can be successful uh-huh. when i go all in and you're right it doesn't matter I, I was fortunate enough i get to travel down to kentucky for the usl championship and watch louisville yeah. lift the trophy and you don't see a happier group of people and I get covered in as much champagne at that championship <laughs> as I did at the MLS championship, yeah. as I'm sure you do uh, when you win the FA Cup or winning the EPL. And you have you. There's nothing but happiness you have in you mm-hmm. for that group of people f- in that moment because yeah. you know they get to be champions for the day. And interestingly enough, on the flip side was DDA Drogba, who took the loss like an absolute like champion yeah like you you can see it just oozes from him how much experience he has yeah as he goes around and congratulates the other team and just gives them that moment being like hey i'm a world football like yeah I'm a world-class footballer yeah we're playing in the usl and i'm happy that you won i'm yeah. happy that you get to experience that and puts his armor arms around his teammates and shuttles them into the into the dressing room yeah he appreciates what it takes doesn't he mm-hmm. to, to win and uh, that's the point we're both making that uh, to win is so hard and so whatever level that is wherever that comes it's it's to be enjoyed we could sit here for another hour and talk about all the athletes in every sport across North America who have not won who can't get the job done and win yeah, they're amazing some of the best hockey players and NFL players of all time they can't win because it just takes that special unique mix personalities and luck and quality and whatever comes into it it's uh it's culture. a very sp- yeah <laughs> culture. atmosphere atmosphere i'm gonna keep calling it culture. <laughs> you need the food to be great on the day of because <laughs> if, I, if i have some bad chicken i'm done <laughs> it takes a great film no i'm joking um for the sake of your time i just i want to look at your broadcasting career yeah just because we keep talking about applying yourself and going into a spot that's the best fit for me and giving it all and, and just putting myself out there. And there's probably of all the options you could choose walking off the pitch. There's no 
bigger way you can just put yourself out there by I'm going to sit on a panel or I'm going to do yeah. color commentating on, you know, Canada's largest sports network. <laughs> and you had to be vulnerable in those moments. Yeah. Because you had to learn. Yeah. Always, always learn. You always learn. And, and so if you're willing to be vulnerable and you're willing to ask people, how do I do this? How can I get better at this? You put yourself out there. A, uh, you're more approachable. People, you're more likable person because people think, here's this guy, played wherever. I don't know anything about broadcasting. I don't know what it takes. So I'm open. I'm, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to go out there. And I've got two unbelievable examples in Christian Jack and Luke Wildman. And, and I'm, I really bring them up because I think I'm fortunate that my first job was with A2 guys. I think if it had been with other people, and I'm not thinking anybody in particular, I just mean lazier guys who were like... Daniel Lovitz. <laughs> Daniel Lovitz, no. <laughs> guys who just somewhat mail it in yep. and, and get by, then maybe I'd have thought, oh, this is the way you do it, you know? I will just like rely on what I know as a player or that, but it's, it's, it's way much, so, so much more to it than that. And I see for the guys, the work that they put in, the research that Christian Jack puts into what he does, the research that Luke Wildman puts into every single broadcast. When that man calls a game, his notes are crazy on both teams. He's calling a TFC or a Vancouver or a Montreal game for a Canadian network against Minnesota or Columbus crew. Mm -hmm. He's done equal work. He's, he's got no bias. He's, he's, he's totally balanced in the way that he calls that game. And his, his skill and quality of doing that is, is you know, awe-inspiring, really, to be honest. He's absolutely brilliant. He finds the right things to say every time. Never messes up his words, unlike me. I mess up my words nearly every two minutes. But they're my example of what that takes, uh, Clay. And so I'm lucky that I had that, but I, I loved it from the start. And it was something that I felt I had a lot of improvement in me. I thought I could get better. Thankfully, I have got better. Hopefully, I'm going to get a lot better still because I don't think I'm anywhere near what I can be or what I want to be. You are being hard on yourself now. Well, I, I, and I'm not trying to be humble. Oh, you know, so everybody says oh, that. I, I mean Steve it. Caldwell, he's such a nice guy. I, no, I'm not. I mean it. Like, I can get a lot better at this. Mm -hmm. I, I need to get a lot better at this because guess what? I want to be the best. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to get there probably, but I want to be the best. And it was the same when I played. I wanted to be the best. And uh, deep down, I, I know I know I wasn't going to be the best set of half in the world. And I know I'm not going to be the best color analyst in the world, but I want to be. So I'm going to try and improve every single day. It's I've heard this over and over again that uh, you want to be in first, but play like you're in second. Yeah, because there's something about that blood in the water, for lack of a better term. Yeah, where you just believe that you can do more. And you have to push yourself further and you have to, I already did, like it's 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 midnight and I got to be at the TSN for 7 a.m. or whatever, 6 a.m., whatever stupid time you get in yeah. there in the morning. Yeah. And you're like, but I just want to look into this one last guy. I just want to know this one last thing. Mm -hmm. There's something about that feeling and noticing it in other people because you meet tons of people that don't have it. Yeah. There's... There's a group of people that don't care about being first, second, or last place. There's a group pe group of people that think they're in first place, and they'll never be. Yeah. And there's a group of people that that think like they're that are in first, think like they're in second. Yeah. And they can notice it within someone else. You, you notice the work ethic, and you bring up obviously. Uh, 
Christian Jack and Luke Weilman. Mm-hmm. And speaking with Christian recently, he looked at you and he said, I can't, here's a guy that comes in with no ego at all. Yeah. That's, and look at me, someone who never played the sport. Yeah. And, 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 and we can look eye to eye with each other. Yeah. Because I believe you realize in the other person, you're all in. Yeah. And let's be honest, we're not playing football here. Like we, we don't, mm. I don't have to know how good you are, how, what your first touch is like, yeah. because we're not, that's not the game it's we're relevant, playing. No. We're in a completely different ring. Yeah. And some of the best players in the world can't analyze a game. They can't get their point over. I've, I've, I've saw some of the best players in the world coach. I've, they've coached me, they've managed me at different clubs and they can't get their point across. So it's irrelevant if you played the game, really, to me. Yes, you have experiences through playing that are unique, just like Christian has experiences through his 10, 15, 20 years in broadcasting that are mm-hmm. unique to him, you know? So you take everybody on the merits of what they bring and, and what Christian does is researches harder than anybody else. What he can see is is a, a deep tactical knowledge of the game as well. And and we, we are often on the same path before we even mention it in the studio you know we'll be in our different corners or what we watch on different screens a lot of times there's no real reason to that but KJ likes one angle I'm watching a different mm-hmm. camera angle and and we'll come together and we'll say did you you know we'll say the same thing at the same time so yeah. we're we're seeing similar trends in the game we're, we're obsessed with tactics and obsessed with the kind of uh, you know the the competition in a game, and what I mean by that is, you know, one style against another style, mm-hmm. and all the really kind of high level stuff is. It goes right over my head. Yeah, well, I appreciate we... you so much, but I was saying <laughs> when Christian was here, I'm like, I depend on you guys so that I understand what I'm seeing, <laughs> because without you, I am hopeless, and I yeah. love the game so much. Yeah, but I need your insight and your knowledge, and the fact that you guys can meet minds. Uh, I think says a lot about the two of you and, and the partnership yeah. that TSN has brought together, the teamwork. Yeah, and we try to kind of stick to that because we we want we want to teach people in Canada the, the game of football, and I'm, I'm not being arrogant by saying that. I know there's a lot of people in Canada have a deep knowledge of the game as, as much as us, maybe even more than us. But we're there, we're on that 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 role, and it's it's not like high top level stuff for us. We want to like teach the game. We want to get into the stuff that. Uh, really makes our hearts sing as such and that's what a friend of mine Nancy Spottenshaw always says what makes your heart sing I love that it's brilliant this makes our hearts sing we love talking about the game we love talking I found that about myself as well Clay I need to mention this point it can be Real Madrid against Liverpool in last season's Champions League final or it can be France Croatia in the World Cup final or it could be like the, the most nothing game you've ever thought of it's the same to me. It's like one team. I don't. I don't want to mention names, and I'm like Watford. Yeah, <laughs> Saturday morning, Huddersfield, Brighton, or no disrespect yeah, right. to MLS or anywhere no. else, Colorado against Montreal yeah. or whatever it may be. It doesn't matter to me. It's yeah. like two teams with two different styles, and I try and predict what I think is going to happen. They're going to play three five two. They're going to play four four two. This is going to happen. That might happen. You know. And then I watch it develop, and mm-hmm. sometimes I'm spot on, and I'm feeling smug and great about myself. <laughs> and other times I'm miles away. You know. But that's the joy. That's yeah. the game of soccer. Like that's what makes us. Well, that's what makes it the best sport in the world for me. It ends up being uh, an academic. Yeah, exercise yeah. as much as like as much as everything else. You get to get your brain involved, and you yeah, get to start thinking about it. So complex. It. We had I brought it up earlier. We had the fortune of working together throughout the summer. Part of that is you got to make predictions. Yeah, uh, how did that go? It wasn't no. good. It was a, 
I was getting slaughtered in the predictions. Every I don't. Day. I don't think it went well for anybody except the man sitting to your right. Oh, Dylan was the man, was he? Dylan, I want you to turn your mic on. What was the final? Like once we got out of our, we had an office pool, right? right? <laughs> Did you get like one wrong? Uh, like, the, the out of the once got to pass the group stage, yeah. I think the only match I got wrong was I had Mexico beating Brazil. Oh wow! That's all impressive. the way to the final. That's impressive. Yeah, all the, all the way Croatia. to the end. That's good. We should have had him on I, rather than me. I, crazy, isn't it? <laughs> We're, I'm gonna. He's gonna be the oracle. Yeah. Like maybe we'll go. Maybe the gold cup. Do not yeah, look at my MLS let's pool. Do it again. <laughs> do not look at, yeah, he's a do not look at the MLS pool. That was a little bit different. Char- Charlotte's the oracle for MLS. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, she called it. Uh, she well, called the final score. Did she? Yeah. Wow. Not, not only did she have Atlanta winning, she, she called the final 2-0 score. Good for her, yeah. yeah. Well, let's get Dylan on for the Gold Cup. We'll, we should, get, that, right? uh, we'll get another prediction thing going. Are, are you free in the summer, Dell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. For I appreciate me. it. I apologize because it's like we I go off on tangents. Like you know, <laughs> it's great. Like, I love it. I just kinda go sideways. That and makes we'll interesting. Make, like you can come back and we'll talk about the next team. Like <laughs> Doesn't matter, does it? it? I thought we talked about some great things. It'll so. be like a, a ten part series. <laughs> <laughs> we just keep hitting a different one each time. I like to end the podcast the same way each time. So as we wrap this up from Stephen Colwell, thank you. From myself, from Dylan, who's producing. From Luca, who edits this afterwards. Obviously from Sean as well. Uh, Everyone, please, please, please be good to yourself. And eat your vegetables. Says the Scotsman. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.